Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're up with a review of our homemade licorice. Will these be a reoccurring holiday tradition? And if you need something fast and delicious as the holiday deadlines loom, we've got Brazil's most famous truffle, the Brigadeiros, to help you out. Then we'll put on our detective caps and investigate some popular kitchen myths. Are these urban legends helpful or just hysterical? We're on the case. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, it is almost 2020, and do you know what that means? It means time for some bacon resolutions. <laughs> Listeners, if you were with us in 2019, you know that Stefan and I made 19 baking resolutions for 2019 yep. in the fashion of Gretchen Rubin and her habit of making resolutions every year. We both split those resolutions Each took seven, I think, and then solicited some listener suggestions, and we're doing that again. So help us with our 20 for 20 baking resolutions. Send us some of your ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of ways to get those to us. Andrea, of course, you can send an email to hosts at preheatedpodcast.com. You can post in our Facebook listeners community. Let us know. Silly, serious, somewhere in between. Love to have that listener feedback. We got some great suggestions last year. Yeah, and if you're a new listener and you're thinking, what is a baking resolution? (laughs) It's the best kind of resolution. (laughs) Right? One that might actually get done. It can be something as simple as bake more in season, Mm -hmm. which was a great listener suggestion that Stefan and I took to heart. And we tried to make sure we were using fresh fruits when we were making our desserts instead of maybe something pulled from the freezer. Something like Waste Not, Want Not, which encouraged us to use up our leftovers instead of always buying new things. Or a technical challenge. One of our listeners gave us a technical challenge, a really difficult bake that we bake together. So those are some ideas from last year. If you gave us an idea last year and we didn't use it, go ahead and submit it again. It might be that we saved it for another show or episode, and we'd love to see it rise to the top in 2020. That's right. And then check back throughout January. We're going to be talking more about what we're choosing and doing a big reveal toward the end of that month. I'm so excited. Well, Andrea, it is December 23rd, so that means this year, not only Merry Christmas in just a few days, but also Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah started last night. Oh, yes. That's so so much fun. Such a great time of year. Are you celebrating? Yes. And it is always a blessing and a curse when Hanukkah falls very close to Christmas in our family (laughs) because we try to do a little bit of both celebrations. And in our house, that mostly means food related. Mm. (laughs) So my husband is the world's best latke maker. I'm going to just put it on the record. They are the best. We only eat them once a year during Hanukkah time. They are such a special dish and really just my favorite. So I'm really looking forward. But, you know, then we also have all of the delicious Christmas food coming down. So it's going to be a hearty week. Yeah, I can't imagine 
adding another holiday with its own food traditions on top of the one I already do. So um, hats off to you and to all of our <laughs> listeners who are celebrating multiple holiday traditions in one household. I, I stand before you with awe and wonderment. Yes, well. Last week, we introduced two new licorice recipes. I made a red licorice from the food blog Gluten-Free on a Shoestring. And Stefan, you tackled the black licorice from Dessert for Two mm -hmm. via the Food 52 website. Right. So let's go ahead and let our listeners know how this homemade licorice turned out for both of us. You know, it's interesting, Andrea, as we're introducing this third bake along from Confection Affection Month, licorice has really become much more popular in my house, especially black licorice, and have never made this. Really excited to try a candy. But you might be wondering, licorice, you're having a gluten-free option? Who knew there was flour in licorice? Indeed, there is flour in licorice, and that is one of the main ways that our two recipes varied, but there are some significant other ways also. Last week, we talked about the difference in ingredients. So as you just mentioned, my recipe, the red licorice, which is gluten-free, uses a gluten-free flour. I use the Bob's Red Mill one-for-one one baking flour substitute, and it contains xanthan gum. Okay. So I didn't have to include that ingredient separately. It came in my gluten-free flour. What kind of flour did you use in your black licorice? You know, surprisingly, it called for whole wheat flour, Andrea, or wholemeal flour, as it's called mm. here in the UK. And wholemeal flour, I'd say in general, in this country, is a little bit grittier, a little bit more stone ground and homespun. Okay. And I'm not sure that worked great because when I'm eating candy, I don't necessarily want to... <laughs> Think about a piece of whole, wholemeal bread. No. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if I was going to choose a flour again, I would either, you know, maybe pulse this in my uh, food processor or try to source a, a finer whole wheat. I see. To make it a little smoother. But, you know, as far as yeah. color and all of that, it was totally covered up by the, by the black food coloring. Okay. Interesting. We both had salt, of course. Yep. And then I had a cherry flavoring oil. And here's another thing I didn't realize could potentially contain gluten is a flavoring oil. So oh, good point. my recipe specified a brand called Lorraine, and I couldn't find that in any of my local stores. So I did have to get that online. And I have to tell you, when I got it and I opened it up, it smells so good. I am so jealous of that cherry flavoring. I can think of all kinds of awesome desserts that you can make with the rest of your bottle. I know. I can't wait to pull it out and use it for some other things. Now, I'm guessing you did not have a cherry-flavored oil in your black licorice. What was your flavoring? Traditional black licorice, that nice, rich anise flavor. I also had to mm. buy mine online, Andrea, and this was so potent. It almost made my eyes water. And oh, wow. a little bit later on, I'm going to come back to that because it was so very strong. My recipe called for a tablespoon. Because I had so many other really rich flavors going on, like molasses and some other very robust flavors, I went down to about three quarters of a tablespoon. And I thought that mm. was plenty. But if you're a okay. huge anise fan, then by all means, you know, pump it up. Yeah, a tablespoon does seem like a lot. Mine was a half a teaspoon, so that's quite a difference. Oh, yes. We both had food coloring to end up with our red licorice and black licorice. I had no problem getting red gel food coloring. Where'd you get your black gel food coloring, or did you have any on hand? I didn't have any. That's not a color that I normally stock, although I'll be set for <laughs> Halloween from here on out. <laughs> I just got mine online as well. I would say that was incredibly staining. Not that other food colors aren't, but black, I had kind of purplish fingers for a little while after mm. making this. So just take caution. It really did look like Halloween. <laughs> oh my gosh. We both had butter and sugar in our recipes. And then I had a light corn syrup. 
I went ahead and used a Caro light corn syrup, and that's something that I don't typically have on hand. And okay. quite honestly, for a minute, I thought about using some dark corn syrup that I had in the house, yeah. or I thought about substituting some Lyles. But I thought, you know, this is candy. It's cooking to a certain temperature. This involves math and science. This is not the time for me to start messing around. So I did go ahead and just use a light corn syrup as specified in the recipe. And another difference between ours, Andrea, is that my black licorice called for a quarter cup of dark corn syrup, which I did use. But it also called for two tablespoons of molasses. And I am lucky enough to have Lyle's brand. Of course, Lyle's we all know and love. They make a black treacle, which is a very, very strong, similar to a black strap molasses. As regular listeners of this show know, molasses is one of my very favorite sweeteners. That was another reason I went with a little bit less of my extract, because that molasses has a really rich flavor. Mm, Okay. And we both had sweetened condensed milk. Yep. And then I also had four tablespoons of Lyle's golden syrup, although the recipe said I could substitute an equal amount of honey or molasses, but I just stuck with the Lyle's golden syrup there because I love the flavor so much. And, you know, Andrea, now that we have our ingredients kind of separated out, the next steps were very, very similar in our recipes. And this was perhaps the most crucial, maybe the most difficult, boiling this mixture to a very specific temperature of 240. And I believe regular candy makers will know that that's the softball stage of candy making on your thermometer. Some people are old pros and you there's a test you can do with like you drop it into a glass of ice water, but I relied on technology. How about you? I did too. I sometimes do that test in the glass of ice water just because I think it's fun, but I don't make candy often enough to look at it and go, oh yes, that's perfect. Yeah. You know, so I, I just counted on my uh, thermometer there as well. And I reached 240 with, you know, no problem. My recipe says to watch that really carefully because if you go any higher than 240, the butter will burn. Mm -hmm. And if you go any lower than 240, the licorice won't be hard enough as it cools. So it is really important to hit that one on the dot. And this is where, Andrea, I had the most trouble. This is step four of the black licorice recipe that we will link to. And the instruction says to stir the mixture frequently to prevent scorching in the corners, you know, around the edges of the pan especially. So I took that a little bit too much to heart. (laughs) Oh, and see, mine, um, you stir constantly until you reach a boil. But once it reaches a boil, you lower the heat and continue to cook until it reaches 240. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't say to continue stirring, so I didn't touch it at all. So here's the problem, folks, that I have learned the hard way happens if you're kind of stirring too much as that's trying to come up to temperature. You're not really ever getting an accurate gauge of the temperature. So what happened the first time I made this? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) is that I ended up stirring too much. My candy got too hot, and I ended up making hard candy. You know, a nice little experiment, but not what I was going for. Like a licorice brittle almost, huh? I had to smash it with my rolling pin. That's how hard this hard candy was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It had a pretty good taste. I don't think it ever burned, but because I was just stirring it too much, my thermometer wasn't getting an accurate reading and it was getting too hot so I think you almost ended up with like a cough drop oh my gosh (laughs) what it sounds like a very delicious cough drop that's exactly what I made I made a lozenge um 
holiday, yes. holiday lozenge. My very important kind of asterisk on this black licorice in step four is, you know, yes, you don't want it to burn. You don't want it to scorch, but you need to just let it bubble away to 240. And, you know, the second time I did that, it maybe was like 10 minutes to reach that temperature. And I felt confident it wasn't burnt. It wasn't scorching, but it was mm. it was doing what it needed to do without getting too hot. Well, I'm sorry that happened to you. If it makes you feel any better, I ran into trouble on my next step. Okay. Well. <laughs> Which is we, you know, I had no problem reaching the 240. Okay. I removed the mixture from the heat mm-hmm. and my next step said add the flour mixture. Now you'll be proud of me. I had prepared my flour mixture ahead of time. Mm. I had all my tools at hand. I was mise en place, proud. you know, Aww. ready to go. But as I put that flour mixture into the, you know, boiled sugar mixture, yeah. it reminded me of when I'm making gumbo and, you know, the first step is to make a roux. Sure. When you stir flour into that hot sugar mixture, I got clumpy bits of brown flour almost oh. immediately. Oh. Like I, I just feel like there was nothing I could have done to prevent it okay. because it's not like I dumped it all in. I, I sprinkled it in and still... So I felt like I was making gravy or a roux, and as much as I stirred at that point, there was just nothing I could do. It says working quickly, mix everything well, but I still had some little brown flour flecks, which definitely detract from the beauty of a red licorice. So that was my one disappointment here. Okay. I think if I did it again, maybe what I might do, it says working quickly, but maybe what I might do is actually sift the flour into the mixture to make yes. sure I'm just getting it, you know, as fine as possible. That's a really good point. I mean, it sounds like as far as that flour texture went, we had similar concerns mm-hmm. there. Mine was just mm-hmm. kind of too chunky to begin with. And then yours acted up once you once it hit that heat yeah I didn't have that specific problem but again it just felt a little healthy to me at that point and (laughs) you know you've got I just probably want to say here you've got your you've got your molasses and your whole wheat flour it's basically a basically a health drop that you're making oh my gosh not not exactly what we were after despite the little clumps of flour I have to say my next step adding that cherry flavoring oil and the food coloring it immediately was quite beautiful. And that flavoring Mm -hmm. oil is so strong and so fragrant. I think I got some on my hands and I was smelling it all day. Like I I just was thinking, oh, this might be my new perfume. So nice. Were your hands red? Was that a consideration for you? Uh, Just a tiny bit. Okay, Um, I was able able to get that off. But the fragrance, even after I washed my hands multiple times, was still, I don't know if, you know, I got it on a piece of my clothes or something. I I should have been wearing an apron, but I wasn't. And um, yeah, it was it was great. And the cherry flavoring oil also was red. So I had kind of a double dip of red, which was really nice. Yeah, so pretty. Now, Andrea, when I added my anise extract here after I've reached my temperature of 240 and I'm ready to do that. My extract must have contained so much alcohol because I put it in and it immediately kind of had this waft of alcohol and it was really strong and really surprising. Did you get any of that? Not at all. Okay. And I, you know, that could come down to the volumes of our extracts as well. That's true. I used quite a bit more. I guess be prepared for that if you're using this large quantity, or maybe this yeah. was just a particularly good extract. I don't know. I haven't bought this type before. Uh, it was really strong, and it actually, like, I took a step back. Um, yeah. Whoa. I, whoa, hello. <laughs> Boozy licorice. So then we both have this soft confection. It really reminded me at this point of a soft caramel. Yes. You put it into your prepared pan, and then you let it sit in the fridge for about 30 minutes, and it hardens up 
you know, I wouldn't say significantly, but enough so that you can do the next step, which is cutting and shaping. And that was a lot of fun. I want to add my recipe just says to grease the square baking dish and set it aside. Yeah. I use my parchment paper. Yeah. I had this image of a huge slab of licorice stuck in my pan and I didn't want to deal with that. So yeah, I did have my parchment paper in there and I was able to lift it out quite easily after the 30 minutes in the fridge. And then I did use my kitchen shears. That's always fun to cut it in half and then cut each half into those quarter inch wide strips. And how was your taste, Andrea? It was incredible. I loved the flavor of this so much. This was another one uh, listeners know. Sometimes I talk about how as I'm preparing for a photo, I might find myself, you know, (laughs) snacking. And this was definitely the case here. I mean, I had to like slap my own hand to stop. It was so good. I did some in the twist. And then I did some of the twist I then cut into tiny little bite-sized pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Everything about this was great until (laughs) my final step says allow it to sit at room temperature until slightly hardened and serve. And yeah. That's what I did, and I was eating it, and I was taking pictures of it and having all that sort of fun. And then, of course, I thought, well, I can't just let this sit here on my kitchen counter. I I will eat it all. Mm. I have some tiny white wax paper bags, and I thought, oh, those will be so pretty. I'm just going to wrap the licorice into those. (laughs) And I took some others, and I wrapped parchment around it and tied it with a red and white string because I thought it would be such a perfect little hostess gift or something for Christmas Day. I I thought, oh, I might even put it in my daughter's stocking in a couple of days here. But alas. I think I know what you might say. Uh, Yeah, this is what I did not prepare for. I went to taste some later in the day, and the paper, both the parchment and the wax paper, completely stuck to the licorice and even trying to peel it off it still left remnants behind so that was so disappointing that is disappointing but that's not what I thought you were going to say because here is what happened to mine after I cut and shaped it and my taste was really good good and I think I talked last episode when I introduced this black licorice it's pretty polarizing I think you either love that flavor or you don't and I would like to encourage folks that this tasted enough and the texture was really chewy, caramely enough. I think it might appeal to non-licorice lovers. I think you might get some converts with this. Mm -hmm. I really, really liked the flavor. And I had fun too with shaping and cutting and doing all of that. But then, Andrea, after I'd taken my pictures and had more than a few pieces, I put everything back in a Tupperware. Okay. And I came back to it, I don't know, in a few hours. Yeah. And everything had kind of reabsorbed back into the mother, if you know what I mean. (laughs) It was just a lump. It was like stranger things. It had kind of like all gone back together into one piece. And I just thought, huh, well, I mean, it's not a huge deal when I want to serve this or something. If I'm at home, I can cut some more pieces. But I don't know, maybe maybe in this second iteration, I hadn't boiled it enough. So it wasn't quite hard enough. I mean, there was no way I could have packaged that up to give away because it would have just morphed into one piece again. Or you could have made it, you know, it'd be like a lump of coal in your stocking. Just this lump of licorice. I know. <laughs> So chemistry-wise, I think I had some challenges with this. Taste-wise, it was really fun, and I loved making a new candy. Taste-wise, mine was fabulous. Making it was really fun. My only problem was putting it in that parchment, and that was my fault. That was not uh, listed in the recipe. I just thought since it didn't stick to the parchment in the pan, I thought that it wouldn't stick once it was done, but I was wrong about that. 
A few of the pieces I had cut up into smaller kind of bite-sized pieces and put in one of those Ziploc snack size bags. And that held its shape quite nicely. It didn't stick together and it didn't stick to the bag. And then I started thinking, well, of course, when you buy Twizzlers or Red Vines, they're never in paper. They're always in plastic. plastic. So, duh, that was just kind of a bonehead move on my part. But I did get some pretty pictures. (laughs) Oh, your pictures, Andrea, are among my favorite pictures that we've ever had. So I love them. I love them. They're so pretty. And I did deliver some to a neighbor before I discovered the paper sticking incident. And she has two little boys. And so as soon as I discovered it was sticking to the paper, I sent her a quick text and said, heads up, I'm really sorry about this, but you're not going to be able to get the licorice off the paper. And she wrote back and said, it didn't matter because the boys loved it so much. (laughs) And she asked me for the recipe. So I think that's a really good sign if people still want the recipe and want to make this even when it's got little bits of parchment paper stuck to it. I love it. Well, listeners, if you are avid candy makers and you have any insights into some of these issues that Andrea and I encountered during the making of this, we'd love to know because it's a really fun recipe and I'd love to get better at it. Yeah. And thanks to Nicole Hun of Gluten Free on a Shoestring, who knew there were so many potential gluten black holes in a red licorice. I'm really glad that I now have a gluten free version. Yeah, absolutely. And then the black licorice was from Christine at Dessert for Two, and that was via Food 52, via Savor. It was kind of posted in a lot of places. But yeah, they were both great. That was fun. Thanks for giving us each something a little bit different. I really enjoyed doing that. This month, of course, has five Mondays, so we are going to make and review four recipes, and this is our final of Confection Affection. I think we're going out super strong. These are Brazilian fudge truffles, otherwise known as brigadieros. Andrea, you might remember when we first moved to London, one of my very favorite things we did was attend International Night at my children's schools. When you first brought up this recipe, I thought to myself, I've heard of this, but I've never tried it. How have I heard of this? And so I went to (laughs) preheatedpodcast.com and typed Brigadieros into the search function and up popped episode 56, International Night, where you said... This was your absolute favorite dessert. And I think you called it a truffle at that time. Yes. I'm not sure I knew the official name um, when I had eaten it, but it is something like a cross between a caramel and a truffle. And I have long wanted to make them. It may be one of those things that's very dangerous to have in the house. (laughs) But, you know, it's also, it's it's a little time consuming, but I don't think it's going to be difficult. And I'm really hoping that it's a good last minute if you need some treats for Santa this week, if you need a last minute gift. Andrea, so you haven't eaten these. Do you have any other experience aside from my experience with Brigadieros? No, I haven't eaten these But after you had mentioned it back on episode 56, I had done a search on Instagram, and I follow a few people who make them now because this is the national truffle of Brazil. Yes. What a country. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) I love any country that has a national truffle. (laughs) I did a little research on them. They are commonly made at home, but they're also found in bakeries and snack shops. And they're basically just small balls covered in chocolate sprinkles and placed in a small cupcake liner. Yeah. And usually they're eaten refrigerated. Mm -hmm. But they can also be poured into a small container and eaten with a spoon. And in that case, I read that they're usually eaten warm. Oh, don't give me ideas. 
the origin of them, you know, normally on Preheated, we don't talk politics, but we will make an exception here. The origin of the name is linked to the presidential campaign of Brigadier Eduardo Gomez, who was a candidate for the presidency of the Republic in 1946. Okay. Family that was a chocolatier and supported that Brigadier's candidacy created this confection for him and named it for the candidate. And the candy became very popular, but despite the support received, he was defeated in the election. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, I'd probably vote for somebody who is handing out these chocolates. They <laughs> I'd be up for a little campaign fraud there. Right. The ingredients are really simple. You might even have all of them in your pantry. And since there are so few ingredients, I am going to recommend that you use the highest quality that you can get. Yeah. It requires four tablespoons of unsalted butter or half a stick of butter, two tablespoons of heavy cream, three ounces of semi-sweet chocolate, Mm -hmm. a tablespoon of unsweetened cocoa powder, a cup of chocolate sprinkles, and two cans of sweetened condensed milk. So if you've got any sweetened condensed milk left over from the licorice, you could use it here, but you're going to need two full cans. So you might just have to go ahead and open two of those up. Yeah. And then, I mean, honestly, what you're doing here, you are going to be bringing that buttercream and milk to a boil, adding the chocolate, and then stirring constantly for about 16 minutes. How much do I love the direction to stir until the mixture is the consistency of a dense, fudgy batter. Say no more. <laughs> and you know, when I saw that, I immediately thought brownies. I mean, that yes. I just got so excited when I saw that instruction. So I'm very excited about that. Then you're going to transfer it into a bowl, let it cool down, and then chill it until it's set at least four hours. So if you're yeah. making these for a gift, keep that in mind. You're going to want to, I would say, do it at least the day ahead. Yeah, I'm so excited. I think this is a fun thing to do with kids. It's, again, not hard, easy ingredients you might have on hand. Just set aside some time for this one. Not only the cooking time, but then, as Andrea just said, the chilling time. If you wanted to make this dairy-free, I had some ideas. I haven't done it, but I thought you could use the vegan Earth Balance bars for the butter. Okay. Instead of heavy cream, you could use coconut cream. And instead of sweetened condensed milk, you could use coconut condensed milk. Oh, that would be interesting if anyone tried that. It would also give some kind of a tropical flavor to it, I think. Yeah, and then, you know, make sure, of course, that your semi-sweet chocolate is is dairy-free as well if you're going to go ahead and do that. That's just something I thought I would throw out there. I also thought I would throw out there that even though this is the most traditional version with the chocolate filling and the chocolate sprinkles, mm. which, of course, I see no reason to mess with, <laughs> but you are welcome to try other sprinkle colors or flavors. And it seems like there are a lot of variations sure. in Brazil uh, other than the chocolate filling and the chocolate sprinkles. So feel free to experiment with this one and have a little bit of fun with it. Well, remember, we will have links to all of the recipes we've talked about today. The red licorice from Gluten-Free on a Shoestring, the black licorice from Christine at Dessert for Two via Food 52. And then today's Brigadieros, which was also from Savour, on our website in the show sheets for this episode, which is episode 156. Find that at preheatedpodcast.com. And we'll also have it in our Facebook listeners group. Stefan, we've been talking a lot lately about traditions and nostalgia when it comes to our baking. And we spoke about beloved baking hand-me-downs earlier this month in episode 153. And we all know that home baking is a pastime that benefits from wisdom handed down through the ages. 
but that doesn't mean that all the tips and techniques swirling around in our kitchens have any basis in fact. You know, it's like that oft-repeated story about the woman who always cut off both ends of a ham before she placed it in her pan to bake. She'd learned to make it that way from her mother, and one day decided to ask her what was so special about that method. Nothing, her mother replied. I just never had a pan big enough for a large ham. (laughs) (laughs) I love that story. We're all products of our baking upbringing, and doing something for sentimental or nostalgic reasons can be a lovely way of staying connected to other bakers in our lives. But it can also be easy to have your hands tied by doing things the way it's always been done. That's right. So in true myth-busting fashion, we're going to take a look at some common baking theories to see if they're fact or fiction. First up, myth number one. If you take a break while whipping cream, it will deflate. Yep, sometimes real life interferes with our bakes. Need to answer a text or sign for a package while whipping up your cream? Don't worry, taking a short break will not deflate all your hard work. As long as the temperature of the cream hasn't increased significantly, you should be able to pick up right where you left off and still be assured of light and pillowy dollops. The funniest thing about this is I had no idea this was even a myth. (laughs) I personally break while whipping cream all the time. And I think part of it is that my KitchenAid is really loud, just where it sits on my counter, you know, and on my tile. Yeah. And if I'm in the middle of whipping and my phone rings or my doorbell rings, I'm definitely going to stop it. We know that cream can be whipped ahead and then refrigerated, and it will still retain a pretty consistent texture even after a few hours. Yeah. Next myth, myth number two, flour has to be sifted. Okay. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) This comes from the preheated archives. And as you might recall, it's a personal irritation (laughs) for me. (laughs) So I'm super happy to bust this myth. In general, I think sifting is a waste of time, although I do make an exception for powdered sugar in frosting. I find you can achieve generally the same results by giving your flour or your dry ingredients a good stir with a wire whisk. That being said, if your flour is really clumpy, you have bigger problems. So treat yourself to a new bag. Or if you, like Stefan, just really like to sift, by all means, keep on keeping on. I do love my little handheld sifter. Andrea, how many times have you forgotten to take butter out to soften in advance of a bake? Oh my gosh, I couldn't possibly count all the times. Same for me. Which brings us to myth number three. You can soften butter in a microwave. Almost every baker who has forgotten to leave their butter out at room temp has tried to microwave it for the same results in mere seconds. But it's probably not a shortcut worth taking. In the first place, you may end up melting it, leaving you worse off than when you started. But even if you do get it to a soft consistency, nuking butter will allow some moisture to evaporate, which will hinder your final result. A better quick fix? Try filling a glass bowl with boiling water. Let it sit a few minutes, then pour the water out and dry it quickly. Place it like a dome over your unwrapped butter and give it a few minutes, repeating the process if necessary. You can also grate your butter on your box grater. Not only does the heat and friction of the grating process help to soften the butter, but the small pieces will come to room temp more quickly too once you've finished grating them. Up next, myth number four. You must stir your batter until you've eliminated all lumps. Nope, lumpy batter doesn't necessarily equal baking disaster. While you want to be sure that all of your ingredients are incorporated, overmixing your batter will likely have a worse result, making your finished bake tough and flat. 
especially in muffins or other quick breads, some lumps are just fine and will result in a tastier and better looking finished product. Speaking of muffin tins, we've arrived at myth number five. Never spray a nonstick pan with baking spray. This is the myth that kickstarted this segment. And guess what? It's not a myth. Oh. You should not spray nonstick pans with baking spray since the spray builds up over time, leaving an unsightly and sticky film that can be impossible to remove. Your nonstick pans should release whatever's inside just fine. But if you like to err on the side of caution, grease them with a whole fat like butter, vegetable shortening, or oil, or use a paper muffin liner or parchment paper. I have very little nonstick bakeware, so this one wasn't a problem for me personally. But a related myth is, myth number six, all bakeware is created equal. A 9 by 13 is a 9 by 13, right? Well, not exactly. Picking the wrong pan can change the outcome of your recipe in a pretty major way. For example, a glass baking dish conducts heat differently than a dark metal one, and it will affect your baking time. Likewise, cookies baked on a dark baking sheet will brown faster, especially on the bottom, since the dark metal absorbs heat while the light metal reflects it. In fact, a good rule of thumb when using a dark metal pan is to lower the oven temperature by 25 degrees. By now, you may be feeling overwhelmed with all the must-dos, never-dos, and should-dos. But remember the biggest myth of all, myth number seven. Baking is so precise, it's best left to the professionals. Since you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't buy into this myth, and neither do we. Yes, there are certainly recipes that are more challenging than others. And yes, deviating too wildly from certain ingredients and processes may interfere with the sometimes crucial chemical reactions that guarantee a successful bake. But there's nothing like the satisfaction of mastering a recipe or a technique and turning out delicious treats from your kitchen. Baking is much too delightful to be left to the pros. And that's a fact. Listeners, let us know if there's a baking myth you'd like us to investigate. Drop us a note at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or post in our Facebook listeners group. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning and next week we have an end of the year fifth Monday bonus blue ribbon show to help us bid adieu to 2019. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at PreheatedPod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas to you.